What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, Butterfinger, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. Today, I'm revealing behind the scenes of what I've spent the past 10 months working on. It's called FAM. What is FAM? You'll have to listen to the episode to find out. If you run a Shopify store, you'll definitely want to listen. Or if you have a friend who uses Shopify, send this episode to them. Plus, we have an insane lifetime deal for just 50 bucks to use FAM forever. $50. Seriously. Go to appsumo.com slash meetfam to grab it before it sells out. In today's conversation, I chat with my business partner, Chad, to share everything, the good, the bad, and the really ugly about building fam. We'll discuss three major things you'll learn. Number one, how we figured out the market opportunity and our exact building process. Number two, all of the mistakes we made, including copying our competitors. And number three, figuring out pricing and our long-term goals for fam. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more golden nuggets along the way. Enjoy. Before we jump into the conversation, go grab our lifetime deal for fam. I'm serious. It's that good at appsumo.com slash meet fam. If you run a Shopify store and want to improve your email marketing, go grab the lifetime deal for only 50 bucks. AppSumo.com slash meet fam. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Tyler Yost of USA. He left a review saying, hey dog, love you. I really appreciate it, man. It means the world to me. If you want a shout out in a future episode, leave an iTunes review. I check every single one. It's really interesting putting out software. I was just thinking about how I upgraded the MacBook to Catalina yeah. and everything broke. <laughs> I was like, did they test the software? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I'm sure they did, but so many variables. Don't you think they check? Don't you think they have like a uh, like hundred thousand people in China that can just yeah, like double check I, it for them? I mean, they check, but there's just they don't know what software you're running, all the different variances, and it's a lot of chaos. What do engineers really do, Chet? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solve, really. I think a lot of it is just like finding something that's broken and figuring out a way to fix it. What do you think separates like the best engineer from like an average person, especially if people out there aren't technical or they want to work with one? I think the best engineers just are really good at foreshadowing problems, like thinking of all the different possible outcomes, like probably somebody really good at chess or something like where they can, you know, see all the different possibilities and kind of predict those and get ahead of those and engineer whatever product they're working on in a way that can, you know, hopefully avoid any potential pitfalls. So today's chat is about engineers and products and how we've you know, I don't want it to be a, one of the episodes would be wild is just like our three-year journey to get here. <laughs> That's a pretty crazy story. It's been a rocky ride. I would say it's been pretty shitty for like two and a half years. Yeah, it's been a little rough. It's been really rough. Because like, I, you know, you only see the dishes that come out of the kitchen. Yeah. But I think I want to highlight just kind of the story from this year, which was I came back to running Sumo in December. I kind of pushed you, in my opinion, I pushed you to the side and said, hey, go do Sumo Market. Yep. And then I tried to fix sumo in my the best way I could. And then I don't think I did a good job. And then in April or March, I came to you and said, I need help. Is that how you see it? Or how do you see it? That's pretty close to it. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of nuances to that and, and details, but that's a pretty good high level view of it. And then in March, I came to you. So when I came back to fix sumo.com, which was email capture, you transitioned because you were running sumo, you transitioned it more into Shopify and e-commerce because they had money and they were like, oh, if I collect emails, I make more money. Yeah, it really. And that comes from us just with our background in AppSumo. It's like we understand the value of email, but 
essentially with AppSumo, I mean, it's a lot of digital goods, but it's still e-commerce. Yeah. And those are the people that, you know, really understand the value of an email. Well, I think that's something that more businesses and I think I've really started being even stronger about is like, who are we really serving? Like who pays for it and has no problem to pay for it? Like I go to a, a recovery lab gym here. Mm-hmm. It's $150 a month for a sauna. It's got sauna, hot tub, and cold tub, which to some people, including myself, is crazy. But for other people, they're like, okay, fine. Sounds great. Yeah. That's really, what do you value? You know, I think there's a lot of like, you know, email capture and just email tools in general out there for, you know, a lot of people really just sort of like a hobby or for their passion and not necessarily something they attach a dollar value to. I mean, that's what we observed, right? It was like bloggers, okay, helpful, info marketer, kind of, but e-commerce was the most like, get more emails, make more money. So you moved it more into Shopify, which was the right thing. I think we were a little late to the game, that Shopify world and other competitors kind of just beat us or had a head start with it. If we only would have picked that, but I think we had a lot of WordPress history and SaaS and web. So anyways, it came back and then in April, I was like, yo, how do we win? And I think that was probably one of the biggest takeaways for me is that like, how do we see the opportunity? Like, what is the opportunity? Because like, we're doing this pop-up thing. I tried to have the company copy Clavio for the first few months of the year. I was forcing it and it wasn't apparent that this was going to be a successful thing. How do we start really evaluating what to do from April until now? I think a lot of it is when you, when you just look at a problem, you, you look for like, well, how are other people solving it? And so it's really easy to look at something like, like Clavio and be like, okay, well, you know, they figured it out. So do something similar. But um, I think really to kind of come up with something new or different really is to step back and like think about the problem and think about it in the context of it where you know if we're trying to help e-commerce people with email well like what's the real solution like even Clavio, i think you know they kind of took more of a traditional you know esp like a, like a mailchimp and then they're like okay let's apply that to e-commerce you know make some adjustments around that but if you really kind of step back and think like well, what are you actually trying to solve you're trying to to drive sales for e-commerce, for stores, right? And so one of the things that we did, you know, kind of a few months before we even really transitioned into this was, you know, go look at the top performing stores. Go look at like the Shopify stores out there that are really well, like the top 100 stores, right? So we subscribed to like the top 100 stores and started looking at all their emails. Like, you know, what's the um, volume of emails that they're sending. What do these emails look like? What's the, you know, subject of these emails? And if you start to do that, you really start to look at the patterns and they're kind of quite different than what you would traditionally think that people are sending through email. Like you know, if you think of like your your sort of average MailChimp user, they're probably like a blogger or, or something or like newsletter that. Newsletter update to the yeah, museum. Newsletter. It's a lot of content things where if you really look at like some of the top e-commerce shops and what they're emailing, it's more of like a catalog, right? You don't really get catalogs in the mail anymore like you used to, right? Everything used to be mail order. Now it's e-commerce. And so like, how do you get, you know, in front of the customers and show them the products you have and show them sort of use cases of those products? You know, catalogs did a great job of that, but, you know, we're it's a digital world now. So how do you like actually just turn that into an email? I think if you really look at a lot of the top e-commerce stores that's what they're they're sending it's sort of a modern day version of a catalog and the content of that and the frequency of that is very different than like a newsletter it's got very different look and feel to it and very different sort of content that goes into it also for us i think taking a step back so we lost to clavio who does email marketing for e-commerce privy came out with their pop-ups and was just further ahead of us and their product was a little easier to use 
I would say. It was also very well integrated into like the into e-commerce Shopify. platform and Shopify. Yeah. Yeah. Ours was kind of plugged in. Right. I mean, we really did take kind of like a WordPress product and try to shove it into Shopify. Yeah. As that was going on, you built something in a weekend that's kind of become the basis of what we've created. So you had the idea, hey, all these emails are kind of the same. Clavio, you have to go do all this work and set up flows and hire someone to actually manage it. And in a weekend, what did you create? And what made you think to create that? Yeah, I think a lot of people are approaching this with like flowcharts, like you mentioned. And, you know, as an engineer, I can look at a flowchart, but I don't like to. <laughs> and I don't think most non-engineers like to. And I think it's just kind of a little bit overwhelming for people. But if you know, sort of the pattern of what people are sending is, is similar. Like, how do you how do you just do that for them? You know, how do you make it so like, well, we know what you want to send. How do we do that for you and make it really easy? You know, remove all the friction and the work that you have to do. And so, you know, if we have essentially access to all of what you need to send, you know, we have access to your store. So we have access to all your product information, your order history, all the fo- beautiful photos you've taken of your products. So if we can take all that that data and information and actually just compose, you know, a beautiful looking email for you, like we should just do it. Like, why do you have to go through and sit down and, and look at flowcharts? Not only that, like we we know what works. We've done this. I can't even think of how many emails we've probably sent in, you know, the last 10 years, like probably like 100,000. I don't even know. But, you know, we've sent a lot of emails and we know what works and what doesn't work. And we've also seen a lot of, you know, our customers and the what worked for them and what hasn't worked. So we learned all this and it's a lot of valuable information. So how do we make that accessible to people? You know, how do we save them 10 years of, of research <laughs> and trial and error and, you know, not sending bad emails? Yeah. Well, I think a few things to highlight is like the catalog observation is interesting where you said, I really liked how you, you said, hey, we picked from the, we looked at the top 100 businesses and we're like, well, what if we could take their learnings and apply it to everyone else? So how do we take the best practice and give it to the mass market? Secondly, one of the things we learned in Shopify is the majority of the customers are actually small. It's not actually the big customers of the majority of Shopify customers. Right. Here's what the competition is doing and how do we create a place that we can win? So you created a prototype in a weekend, which was automatic emails. So the idea for these Shopify stores, obviously your idea. Uh, <laughs> you know your own idea. I'm just summarizing <laughs> it for the listeners, which is, hey, in a click of a button, we'll give you your entire email marketing for your store. Is that how you describe it? Yeah. I mean, these are very sophisticated, multi-million dollar stores that have entire teams of people that sit down, you know, every day and and write witty headlines and subject lines and, you know, a team of artists that compose all these beautiful emails. And they have designers and they have content writers and they have you know marketing people figuring out what products to showcase what deals to offer you know what the theme is if there's a holiday if it's black friday or whatever they have entire teams of people dedicated to doing this but to what you said like most shopify stores don't have that right most shopify stores is like a dude you know or a woman in like their garage just like you know probably drop shipping something when they first start off um and hopefully evolving into like figuring out how to manufacture their own product you don't get that sold but they have a lot of hats they wear and they don't have the time or the resources you know to build these beautiful looking emails that these other teams use so how do we kind of level the playing field how do we bring that capability you know through software to 
you know, these smaller teams. And that's, you know, 95% of Shopify customers probably. It's taken us from April till October 16th is when launch day when this episode comes out. What were some of the biggest hurdles along that way? And what, what would we have done differently in the next go around? Or for the listeners, maybe they just can avoid our mistakes. You know, we're sitting here talking about how most of the store, you know, Shopify merchants are these small, small teams. But I think we kind of fell into the pitfall that a lot of um, SaaS companies do, which is like go for the, you know, the larger teams, the larger clients, right? And so I think we took on a bunch of like kind of medium or bigger tiered Shopify stores and, you know, tried to build and accommodate them kind of in a manual process. We wanted to validate things, but I think we sort of really started to go in that direction initially versus hey, let's like really focus on just getting you know, the self-serve Shopify app out that these like, you know, lone individuals can can use and make it easy enough for them. So one of the things you highlighted just for people listening, we did validate the idea. And that was one of the things I was I pushed for, which was how can we manually send emails for people and prove that doing it for them, just doing it manually, like we didn't even create software, we went into their own email programs, yeah. created the emails for them, sent it for them. And we ended up doing almost a million dollars. A lot of it was through that. Yeah. In terms of the six months of validation, which I thought that part was great. But your suggestion was should have done that just for the smaller customers only, not for just the big ones, which I guess I don't know. We would, have, would we have known it wouldn't have been as good for them because I think the observation we've noticed from these medium to larger size customers is the amount of sophistication they would need us to build was just we couldn't be at that level, especially within six months. Yeah, I think we need to start from the bottom and work our way up. And we kind of just dove in into the deep end and we're like, yeah, we got this, you know, starting from from ground zero and we don't have anything. Yeah. So I think we could have, you know, satisfied the needs of a lot more people with a bit more simpler of a product originally than what we kind of ended up with, you know, to satisfy the needs of the customers that we had at the time. So in terms of the product, the idea was like, all right, we're going to generate these emails, they'll hit a button and they can go. One thing that that honestly I've gone back and forth on for the you know month or two around this product is why didn't we just sell templates, right? So if you're a shop before store, you're like tentacle.com, it's with a friend of ours we love, or double WDW, double your Walt Disney World.com. Why don't you sell them templates and let them just plug it in wherever else? Right. Well, the problem with templates is that you still have to do the work, right? You know, MailChimp has templates. Clavio's template, everybody has templates, but you still have to go into the template and put in the copy. You still have to write the copy. You still have to find the pictures and replace them in the template, right? So you still got to do all the work. You got to do the creative thinking. You got to know what to send. And I think that's where most people stop, right? They're so busy. They're like, I don't know what to send, you know, and even if they get past that, they're like, well, I'm not a designer. I don't know how to make this look good, but maybe the template helps them out with that, you know, gives them kind of a good starting place. But you still got to know how to use, you know, some visual editing software to figure out how to like crop your photos correctly and, you know, fit them in. It's still a lot of labor that you have to do. So what we're trying to do is a bit different where we just design it for you. We write the copy for you right? It's a lot easier to edit something and be like, I don't like that, you know, give me a different option than it is to like have to come up with something yourself and to fill in a template. I think it really is bringing this down to like the smaller team where, you know, one person can do all this. And we're even trying to do it so that you can, you know, do it all on your phone from anywhere you are and do it in a couple minutes, you know, which you can't do with a template. What other things do you think went well or would you have improved in the six months we, from when we had the idea, you had the idea to where we're launching it next week 
or launching it today is when the episode comes out. I think what went well is that, you know, the validation, like, like we had this idea and, you know, we got a bunch of beta customers and worked pretty closely with them and validated it. And as you mentioned earlier, like we generated, you know, over a million dollars in revenue for these customers in a very short period of time. You know, this this added revenue to, you know, the business. They, you know, started sending emails they weren't sending before. And, you know, in hindsight, it's like really kind of helped them grow. And I think that went really well. And, you know, it validated what our hypothesis was, but I think we probably could have helped a lot more people sooner, but you never know. And so this was like a good way for us to test that. There's probably a number of different things we would have done differently along that way. It's always easier to look back than to look forward. I mean, one thing that came to my mind that shifted our trajectory was that you put together the updated model of our numbers. And so I think one thing that I've always liked doing when I start a business or as we've done different new ventures is put together a model. And as we were crunching the numbers, what I think when people see a model, it always sounds so fancy. It's just like basic math to see how much money you're going to make. That's it. It's like revenue, expense, profit. And so we put together a model of like how many customers, how much revenue they're generating, what our cut is, how much money we have, and then how much our costs are. And you updated that model with Sean, I believe. And the reality was, is that even with these medium customers, the amount we would need was unrealistic. And we need to actually launch sooner with a lot more smaller customers. And so that we can actually make this a profitable business within the time period that we were aiming for. And yeah. so that was a kind of interesting insight where if you guys are creating models for your businesses, see how it's stacking up against it. And then we made that change. So we said, hey, we're even going to go further in the small and ignore the medium based on and launch what, like two months sooner? Yeah, I think a lot of people are almost like afraid to look at that, right? And I would say even to some degree we were, you know, you come in with an idea and you're just you're like, I'm going to build this thing and it's going to be great. But um, you don't necessarily think about the economics of it and the details of it. And even if you do build this thing and it's great, are you going yourself still be in business to keep helping these people if you don't have, you know, a model that, that is sustainable? And, you know, we jumped in helping these, you know, medium sized commerce stores and they only have so much revenue, you know, and so the product can't be cost prohibitive for them. And so it's got, you know, the price has to fit the market and their needs. And it's very like obvious if you look at it, it's like, okay, well, you know, we can only charge them so much. So how are we ever going to make money on this? This customer base is, you know, only this size, you know, we got to help a lot more people. And the way that we were doing it is not scalable. So how do we make it? so that it's scalable, so that we can help everyone. Well, you're talking about pricing. Walk the listeners and myself, I, I know the answer, but walk through like the thought, because I think if some people are launching new products. A lot of times there's almost over analysis on how much to price it. I don't know if we did over or under on that, but I'm curious you know, if you can share like the thought about how we got to the pricing we're at today. We definitely saw the value in what we were offering. So to us, it's kind of obvious what we think it's worth, um, because we know what kind of revenue we've been able to generate ourselves in the past from email, you know, and how much that can help grow your business. But, you know, for a lot of these merchants we were working with, you know, they weren't sending emails or they were sending them very infrequently, you know, and so it's not like kind of top of mind to them. And then, you know, it's also based on like, what is their product offering? You know, how much revenue can they actually drive from an email based on, you know, what's their conversion rate? How many, like, what's their average order value? 
for their products. And so we really did look at a lot of the data and see like, what are the average order value sizes of the average Shopify store? You know, what's the volume of sales that they get monthly? You know, what's the list size that they have to even determine how much potential revenue you can extract from email? And so we kind of started with a lot of that data and set like a baseline. And we're like, oh, you know, we want to charge this much. And then we went to them and they're like, you guys are crazy. I think what would we first ask? Would 10%? 10%, right? Only what we generated. Yeah. And to us, that was like, this is great. We're going to add new revenue to you and we're only going to take 10% of that. The problem is, you know, they're they're so used to being these merchants of like looking at margins and numbers like that. And they're like 10%. That's, you know, that's huge, right? Some of these stores aren't even you know, getting 10% profit on their sales, depending on what they're selling. I think it's that, but the part that I, I was thinking that they're missing, I'm like, it's money that they're not having. Right. It's only what we've helped them generate, excluding what they're already going to do. There was just a lot of pushback. It was like a lot. When I said 10%, they're like, no, we're not going to do it. Even though if we just said like, if 10% generated an extra thousand, right, it's a hundred bucks yeah. and we charge them 120. It's a little shocking because they're almost yeah. saying like, I would rather make less money than give you 10%. Yes. Yeah. Right? That's a very good way. Um, and I was like, whoa, okay. You know, we're like, this is going to help you. You're going to make more money. But, you know, they would rather make less money than to give up that 10% because I think they're so used to looking at those margins and you know, not seeing past that, not seeing, you know, the net value of that and just being like, I got to protect my margins almost blindly. And so we got a lot of pushback on that. And so we were like, okay, let's, you know, rethink this, you know, we kind of went back to the drawing board and, you know, adjusted it to a number that they finally were comfortable with. And I think like those sort of early customers actually like probably would be open to, you know, moving more towards 10% now that they see the actual value of it, you know, before they did, it was really hard. That was tough. Yeah, especially manual. So we ended up at 5%. But then as we were doing the 5% thing, I think it's interesting to think through the share of the process. So then we're like, all right, 5%, they're like, fine, right? They're reluctant, which I always like pricing that people are like, oh, it's only that, right? It's only X dollar. But one thing we did though, is we added a monthly fee, right? Which I still go back and forth because I love the idea personally, free, just come use it, you make money, you give us 5%. But there was some thought into the 20 bucks a month. One thing I think, you know, people just value something they're paying for more. And we want people to use it. We want them to, you know, actually set it up. And if the meter is ticking, they're more likely to do that instead of just sitting on it and doing nothing with it. So I think it's good to actually, you know, charge something. But also we're giving them, you know, with that, you know, minimum monthly rate, like, 20 bucks a month, we're actually giving them extra kind of credit on that than they would get with the 5%. They pay 20 bucks and they pay 5% after they've made $25 back. So after they make 500 bucks, then we charge 5%. And so they're getting almost like a you know $100 revenue buffer there. Of what they make. Yeah. I don't know if it's relevant for other people because I don't think other people can use AppSumo. But I think that was something that I think one of the biggest takeaways for me around this whole business and as we've moved forward is everyone has assets. Everyone has a network. Everyone has pe- hopefully people they work with, if not, or hopefully they have some capital. But everyone has something. And I think where we've made mistakes, frankly, in the past two years to three years is that we haven't utilize what we already have. We're looking for a new thing when we already have the thing. And so we're launching it, the price today at 50 bucks for life, plus 5% after they've already made $500. You know, hearing you say that 50 bucks for life, should we not do that? Um, <laughs> it is kind of wild because you're never having to pay for email marketing software, which is probably 50 bucks a month. You don't have to pay for a marketer or designer. 
and you're only paying $50 once. Yeah, probably, it's probably not going to work out very well for us. I mean, imagine how much money people have spent on like MailChimp, right? This year. They probably haven't even done that much with it. And we're saying uh, 50 bucks for life and we will do all of the work for you. So you'll actually use it. Well, I think that was the big takeaway. It's like we have this audience of AppSumo and I think there's definitely a, a fear. Oh, everyone who's going to buy it is going to buy it at this moment, which is not the reality. The reality is there's a million Shopify store owners out there we're going to get a few thousand of them to use it, try it, and be a great beta customers for us in using the product so that we can evolve it to get the rest of them. Yeah, you touched on that. Like, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about fear of failure, but I think most people are actually more afraid of success than failure. And I think there's always that like worry, like, oh, I'm going to get so many customers. How am I going to handle that? Like, and you kind of use that as an excuse to push back and not really achieve your full potential. Um, and it's funny, we all kind of do that. And, you know, we're like, oh, we're going to get so many customers. But, you know, that would be a great problem to have. Yeah, make it a problem. Yeah. I mean, I think the only other thing about pricing I want to add is, uh, and MailChimp actually put an article about this, which influenced my thinking and, and experiencing Sumo with you, was with Meet Fam and in general, pricing is likely going to change in the future. So your existing customers grandfather them in, but there's a high likelihood we're going to keep evolving with the business. And we'll change the pricing most likely. So I've noticed just people are like, well, this is the price. It's going to be forever. It's like, it's forever for a few customers. Yeah. You'll have other customers and you can change the price or not, but it's, you'll be able to do that in the future. I mean, how many things in your life can you think of that haven't changed in price? I really want to say In-N-Out Burger, but I think they've gone up too. I would hope they've gone up. <laughs> yeah, I think that, no, it's gone up, but yeah, almost nothing. Obviously there's like the monopolies that do that stuff, but I'd say even just like average prices of coffee and all these other things change. It could go down. Or it could go up. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to. The value of a dollar changes. So if your price is not adjusting, like you're going to run into problems. A few other things I want to cover that I think other people behind this, I'm calling this episode behind the scenes of our newest product. It's funny, as you said something earlier, I just want to highlight, we spend on, on these podcast episodes the thing I spend the most time on is the titles. What do you mean by that? The titles of that each episode. Like the content could be the best show ever, but if the title sucks, no one's going to even click to check it out. And so... I did think what, as you were talking about creating emails for people, like we literally have pulled the database of top subject lines. So you don't even have to think about this stuff anymore. And the idea that we can even use more algorithms to make them even better and smarter for each individual business. I was like, man, you can do it for my podcast too. That'd be great. That's like what we were talking about, where just a lot of people get these sort of mental blocks. They're like, oh, I got to think of a title. And it's kind of a minor thing when you really step back and look at it. But so many people just get stuck there. Let's say that you were, you didn't have as much capital. We didn't already have an existing team and you started it today. What would your team look like to build this kind of product? And how much do you think it would cost you? The team would probably be a lot smaller. You know, we started with an existing team already working on, you know, existing products. You know, we have income around that. So, you know, we can afford to do that. But if we couldn't, like the team would be a lot smaller. We would have to get this product to market a lot faster than, you know, from April to October. Like I would try to get it, you know, at least the first MVP of it live within a month. You know, you're burning capital very quickly with no income. So you got to be able to sustain that. And it would probably be a very small engineering team, maybe two to three developers working really closely on this. Um, you know, there's a lot of costs in communication with the size of a team. And this is kind of a complex product where we have a lot of different services that have to talk to each other. And, you know, we have different engineers working on each one. And so there is a lot of cost to communicating 
back and forth and making sure that you know we're in sync so that the services are in sync and i think if you had a smaller team you know that's all in your head so you don't really have to spend as much effort sharing that information so with a smaller team like how would you have built it differently like if you had to do it in one month like i said i would have worked backwards and like how do we get this to market the fastest what's the very minimum that we need to do and so it would be you know, just getting to the, that core feature set, you know, starting with at least one email that you could send and getting that, you know, working for people and then getting the customer feedback around that, where I feel like we kind of jumped in very deep with, you know, a handful of customers already who are a bit more sophisticated and have high demands for the features, you know, and they won't accept anything less which is totally fair you know it's their business it's important to them but if you're a smaller team you got to be a lot more scrappy and kind of really get to the the meat of things quicker for some of people thinking they're like it just makes these emails they look pretty basic like can you highlight maybe some of the crazy tech that's going on in the background yeah i mean this is really sort of the first you know public version of it but we're working really quickly on you know vastly improving it and really redoing our entire design engine which i mean we're taking all of your photos from you know your products and your social feeds and anywhere else that you have existing content so that you don't have to go and create new stuff and we're taking that content and we're we're analyzing. I mean, we're like looking at the actual subject matter of your photos. We're doing, you know, machine learning on that and extracting like what are the objects in this photo? You know, if there is a face, we're doing smart cropping on it. We don't want to have a picture that cuts someone's, you know, head off. Like that's just not going to sell, you know, your products well. So we have to be very sensitive to that stuff. And then it's like every brand has like its own aesthetic, like look and feel. You know, they spent a lot of time and, and money on their brand. And so we want to make sure that the emails look, you know, like their brand and match their brand and speak to their, their customer base. So we have to analyze their colors and create, you know, color palettes that align with those and, you know, extract all this stuff sort of automatically by, you know, analyzing their sites and their photos and their logo and their fonts you know, a lot of what really a design team would do and thinking like a designer, but automating a lot of these processes, which is quite challenging. Like all, it's not really been done. You know, there's a lot of machine learning and things that go into like heavy tools, like, you know, Photoshop's can do some, some magical stuff, but you still got to spend a few years learning how to use it before you can really extract the value of that. And we're trying to like boil that down to a few lines of code, which is quite challenging, but very exciting. And I think, uh, you know, applicable to a lot of things. Some of the most complicated products appear the most simple. What came to my mind is like, how many engineers work on Dropbox? I think it's over a thousand. And most people are like, I don't know, I just see the green icon and you drag the photo in and it's, it's everywhere that I have my files. It's a file system that's been, you know, done for a while. But I'm saying that, that the complication in the back end yeah. right, is just fascinating. And so I think that's what is interesting about what, what your team and, and at Sumo we've created, which is this thing that generates these good looking emails, I think, and we're improving them instantly. We're improving them a lot. I think um, in the next couple of months, people will sort of be mind blown where I believe our emails will look better than most people's designers. I think that the hard part that I'm observing about the experience, though, is that we're I think a lot of businesses, like when we created AppSumo, it was easier because it was like, you know about a deal, we put out a deal, you buy a deal, 
you get the deal, right? It's just like straightforward deal, buy, get done. And as we've been approaching this, I go to people, I'm like, we just run your entire email marketing for you automatically. And there's definitely a little bit of a positioning probably problem, but also like a behavior like, well, who runs it then? It's like, we just do it for you. We figured out. So it has been a little bit like, hey, we have a software-based agency or, but it's definitely, I've noticed a shift, right? Like if you think about Uber, now it makes sense, but I've reflected on this where it's like, hey, yo, you hit a button and someone in a random car comes to your house. It is crazy. You get in a stranger's car and all this stuff, but it took time, right? They came up with Uber Black and that people got used to, or the rich people, I guess, got used to it. And then, you know, Lyft launched it. And then eventually it became much more of a, a normal thing. I think that's something similar to this where with your idea, which is how are we doing the marketing for people, right? Like before you used to read a book and then MailChimp and Klaviyo gave you the software so that you can do your own thing. And the next step in that is we just do it for you, which I don't think there's really that many software out there that's at that level. There isn't. I I mean, if you really look at like the email services out there, like, you know, MailChimp, which arguably really kind of started this whole thing, like it's the same software we've been using for decades. Like imagine some of the software you use now and like compared to what you're using like Mm. 20 years ago, it's really the same. We still have this system built off like traditional newsletters with a bunch of templates and you, you know, they've improve the tools to help you edit those templates. And now, you know, some people have strapped on flowcharts on top of that. I'm not (laughs) sure that's an improvement. Um, But, you know, we have the same systems that we've been using forever. And that's what people, you know, know. And so it's a little bit easier to get, you know, sell people something they already know. It's harder to give them something new. And so that new thing has to be vastly different and it has to be vastly better. And we're trying to do something new where it's like, you know, why keep reinventing the wheel and improving the wheel when you know we are building a flying saucer it'll do it all for you a few other things i wanted to highlight in this experience is when we started the product and i think we kind of just did it a lot of times some of the greatness just comes in passing like you do these things you write it down you're like wow that was really spot on we wrote some tenants some uh, core values of what we of the product what it would stand for and it was like all right if this is what the competitors are doing on one side what do we stand for that we're going to be true to? And we look, we revisited them two weeks ago. And I think we've revisited them off and on almost every month. But like what we're going to do that, okay, this is what it has to be. Do you remember that? Yeah. And those were some pretty, I think, crazy ideas at the time. Um, we're like, you know, how would we really want this to be? And like uh, really true to the core of it. You know, we weren't like discussing features. It was like, how do I want to use this? Yeah, let's, let's share them. I think those are really yeah. interesting. So I have a few, I wrote them down. Or I, I remember <laughs> them. Um, but I'd say one of them was that we wanted you to be able to run this from the beach. Yeah. So you want to be able to run it from your phone on a beach. So it can't be very complicated. It can't be super bulky. You can't have to have a desktop. So run it from your phone. Number two, we wanted people to make $5,000 within about five minutes. I think we wrote 15 minutes originally. 15 minutes. Because yeah. you, have to, you have to buffer the email time. I actually said five. And we're like, <laughs> dude, it takes time to like schedule an email. So we wanted people to make 5,000 bucks within 15 minutes. And the point there was, how do we help you get magic instantly? How do we blow your mind about how amazing this is right away? Three was no options. Yeah, no options. Like really like, let's just default to the best decision that we know because we've done this before and we have sent, you know, millions of emails to figure out what is the best option. Just give you the best option. The other thing is, like you said, like let them do it from, from the beach, right? Like, that's the dream. That's why everybody's starting their own Shopify stores. <laughs> they want to have the freedom, you know, and the lifestyle to go, you know, live life. And no one wants to be sitting at a desk, like putting together email copy. I'm just going to revisit the ones that we've written. I pulled them up. So 100% email marketing revenue generation. So I think that was one thing that we experienced with Sumo, where 
the Sumo Capture, people would be like, well, I would have gotten that money anyways. So I don't really appreciate or attribute success to you. I think we wanted to do like, all right, if we've created the emails, this was not happening without us. So that was what we did. 15 minutes, 55,000 bucks. So I think we definitely stay true to that. Mobile first. And then to the point we also said limitations. So those were the four tenants that we wrote out. And, and that's what we've done, which is make the best choices for the customer and reduce the amount of things they have to figure out. Stayed really true to that. Um, and it's really driven a lot of our you know decision process along the way, especially on the product development side. I mean, I can count like hundreds of times where we sat around the table and we're like, let's add this feature because, you know, so-and-so wants it. And then we're like, well, now they have to answer another question. Is there a different way to do this? How do we make it so that you don't have to answer that? And we just figure it out for you. I think that's really kind of pushed us and challenged us. Like we always have, you know, someone at that table playing devil's advocate. Colin. Being like, you know, (laughs) Colin, uh, you know, how does this fit the the core tenants that we set out? And it's very hard to argue against that. You know, it's very easy to push for a new feature and say, well, the customer wants it like, you know, this is going to help so and so, but it might help one person, you know, not everybody. But when you have to argue it against those tenants, it's very hard. You have to make a very compelling case for it. It was also very helpful. Like one thing I just want to highlight is that we said 15 minutes, 5,000 bucks. A lot of people I've talked to that run Shopify stores and e-commerce, the first thing, literally it's insane with email marketing. The first thing I ask is, tell me about the abandoned cart emails. I asked them, I'm like, how much percentage of your email marketing revenue does your abandoned cart emails generate? And most of the time, if they actually know it, which most of them don't, they're like, uh, it's less than 10%. I think having that tenant for us, because I pushed for abandoned cart. I was like, let's do this, let's do this. And, and then we actually went and said, all right, well, what is going to generate the most money for the customer? Not just about how to rush into making the money, but what's actually the most valuable emails. And I think because we did that analysis and we've sent so many emails, we pulled the data and we found that Instagram emails did really well. Product emails did really well. Fall promotional emails, like we're doing a fall promotion for people now. Yeah, I think we were intentional around which emails to the core of like, all right, how do we really focus on helping the customer make a lot of money? Made us say no to certain things like abandoned cart. I mean, there are emails we discussed adding that people asked for that generate like no revenue for them. Yeah, you could argue about like goodwill and stuff like that and brand messaging, but like you're spending this email capital that you have on generating no revenue. That's just not something we should prioritize. Like, you know, the more we can make you revenue, the better off you're going to be. So let's focus on the emails that get you new revenue. Well, I think a lot of people would argue against that saying, well, I don't want to annoy them. I don't want to annoy these people that are on my mailing list. Right. Uh, You don't want to send products to the people who ask to see products. Like that doesn't make sense to me. I think that mindset really does come from the content world of like bloggers and stuff where, you know, it's a lot of info marketers sending a lot of noise and they don't want to annoy people. But with e-commerce, like your customers are saying, I like your products. I want to see your products. I want to know when you have a discount on them so that I can buy and save some money. Or just new products. Or new or products, whatever yeah. It is. Like you come out with a new flavor, I want to know about that. So, you know, these are people who ask for that. And I think most people look at email in the wrong way where every subscriber you have is a depreciating asset that if you're not using it, you're losing it. Email address really probably on average only lasts about six months you know, either they unsubscribe or they move to a different company or, you know, they change their inbox or they just stop paying attention to you. And so if you're not using it, it's just decaying. It's going away. You're afraid of annoying them, but you're not getting any value from it. 
it's losing its value every day. One thing I like about what we did, we did make mistakes, right? I think we took too long. I think we picked some of the wrong customers. I think we did some great things, the validation model, the pricing, I think we made some good choices on so far. I want to highlight the goals and our monthly cycles. I think that's something that I think other people could benefit copying. Can you break it down or walk through what was helpful and how we did it? Yeah, well, you talked about like, how do we get into this project to begin with and sort of the, the turmoil that we started off with and, you know, figuring out really as a team how to work together again, you know, and how to like work in a pace that all of us were happy with, you know, and, and make sure that we all are getting what we want out of this. And so really, we kind of sort of, I think, through a lot of iterations came up with you know, what we're currently doing, which is like every month, you know, we write our GMO, which is, you know, goals, metrics and outcomes and agree very explicitly, what are we going to do this month? You know, what's the outcome of this month and what's the, you know, the goal that we're going to hold ourselves accountable to? And it's very helpful to get us all aligned on that. I think even in the the first like few months we did this, we would kind of set some ambiguous goals that there was a lot of room at the end of the month to argue, well, did you actually accomplish it or did you not? You know, which just leads to like not a good feeling for everybody. Like it's a lot easier for everybody in the room to be like, yeah, we set that goal and we crushed it, you know, no question about it. Then it's horrible when you like, you feel like you hit the goal, but the other side of the room feels like you didn't, right? And nobody wants to to have that experience. So how do we create a framework that avoids that and make sure that everybody feels good about it? You know, and if we didn't hit the goal, let's figure out why and, you know, do a post analysis and figure out how do we make this month great versus like we could wait six months or a year. And then at the end of the year, be like, well, that sucked. How do we make next year better? Right. Like, how about we just keep starting every month and making that month great so that we get, you know, these wins behind us? Yeah. To reiterate for the people listening each month on every team, what's the goal for the month? I think this is where people miss it. Metrics basically are indicators that you're going in the direction of your goal, right? Like, hey, we want to accomplish this thing. What are the metrics for it? And then what are the outcomes that we want to check off that help improve the metrics that help accomplish the goal? And I think we've done a really good job. I think one thing I'd highlight that you said is that we do these debriefs. So at the beginning of every month, we say what went well. We just did it today. Even though me and you were annoyed, I was annoyed about it. So like, <laughs> we did this last week. Uh, but what went well and what didn't go well? And let's take that knowledge and put it into the next month. And now every month it's gotten better. It's gotten better. I mean, the first couple of months we did this, we didn't necessarily hit the goal, depending on who you ask. And now every month we're like the goals behind us. You know, yeah. we're, we're crushing it. Every month gets better. I think everybody's happier with the outcome. You know, and it's a lot easier to come into work every day when you're hitting goals. I think the phrase that I was frustrated with in the past few years is that I didn't think we were playing games we, were, we could win. And I think you got to play in the area and the game that you have an advantage in, which is what we're, I believe we're doing a better job of now. I'm sure we could still do better. No, that's a really good point because a lot of the goals, I think when we initially sit down each month, we kind of set them a little high, right? And we're like, oh, we're going to do this. And we're very optimistic. But I think in the last few months, we've gotten really good at being like, no, we know we can't do all of that in one month. So let's strip it back to what's important and prioritize so that we can get a win. We're always pushing ourselves forward, you know, with our sumoisms and, you know, moving fast. But at the same time, we're really sort of objectively saying like, okay, that's unrealistic and we know it is. So let's focus on the important part. What do we really want to get out of this and set a goal that we can get a win because nobody wants to have the 
lost. So we're launching today when the episode comes out. Well, it's launching in a week, but today when the episode comes out, what is your hope for fam? I really want to help every e-commerce store grow. And a lot of people don't know how to do marketing. They have an idea for a product that they either want to sell or they want to manufacture and bring to market and help customers. And that's super satisfying to them. Nobody sits down and is like, I really want to build the best email drip sequence, right? So I just want to remove that problem from their plate and help all of the Shopify merchants out there. You know, there's like 800,000 plus of them and I want to help all of them benefit so that we can all move on to better things so that I can buy better products from them. All right, meetfam.com. It's live on app Sumo for life, $50 for life crazy that's insane it is insane you think that That, that's absolutely.com slash meet fam and go check it out that's a wrap i hope you loved the episode if you did go check out fam at absumo.com slash meet fam to grow your shopify store lifetime deal 50 bucks i'm for reals absumo.com slash meet fam next text a friend you love them yo dog let's go sell things online together And before you go, let me know what you thought of the episode by emailing podcast at okdork.com. I may check you out. Final special thanks to my boy, Jason at podcasttech.com as always for being the best at podcasts and magic. Also, thanks to Sean, David and Mitchell at the Dork Team. And a special shout out to Raph, Dusty, Sean, Ashley, Katrina, Jarrett, Colin, Fernandez, Justin, Steinberg, Damian, Garrett, Chad, Marnie, Ebaldo, Og, Weisberg, Dean, Sean, David Kelly, David Hollis, Daniel, Eleanor, Gary, Seth, Luca, Serba, and Chris Wyatt at Sumo this week. Y'all rock for building fam. You mean the world to me. What's your favorite Simpsons character? <laughs>